This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex is back after his birthday week off. Boy, he and, looks older, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. His Man. hair's gray. I didn't know. I feel older. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I swear to God I'm losing my mind. <laughs> Like this morning when I got here, I couldn't even find my badge. Like I set it on my lap to get in, and I'm like, it's right on your lap. How old are you? 36. Turn off your mic. Yes, sir. <laughs> He's only half my age. I'm 72. Yeah, basically. there you go. Uh, Mr. Anyway. Kelly, before you take off. Yes. Uh, the Olympic trials are here. Yes, I gymnastics. Know if the Olympic trials for Winter Olympics, you would be on. You'd want to be on the hockey team. Oh yeah. But you know, Summer Olympics. What sport would you want to go for? Hmm. Or you know, gymnastics. I I was sitting there watching the hockey game last night, and somebody tweeted out Simone Biles, one of her routines, and I paused the hockey game and I watched and I wow. Just amazing what she does. So gymnastics is right up there. I love basketball, of course. Uh, so those are probably two of my favorites when it comes to summer. Ah. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Simone Biles. And, and the men, the gymnastic men are incredible. Yes. How they can hold themselves on those <laughs> rings and do all that stuff. <laughs> Gee, many Christmas. I can't even do a pull-up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, gymnastics is, is one I enjoy watching. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So what about you? Uh, well, I would probably want to do something a little bit more abstract. Yeah. I think, I don't know if they still have this, but I think it was a hammer throw. Oh, yeah. Where you had a chain and a ball on the end of it, and you spun around <laughs> in a circle and then let it fly. That would be my sport. <laughs> I'm just glad they have that net in case you throw it backwards. Right. I, you know, you're spinning around. Right. It's like, where am I going to let this go? Oh, sorry. <laughs> That, Four. To me, what do you to, yell if the hammer goes the wrong direction? Four? I don't know. Anything that you can spin and do some kind of sport, I think, is great. That'd be fun, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to try that sometime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> With the other staff members. Yes, there you go. <laughs> KMOX Olympics, yes. All right, folks, it's Saturday morning, and we get together and have a discussion about your backyard, front yard, side yard, Oh, taste of the tropics. Uh, speaking of tropics, man, the humidity yesterday, it was like walking underwater. It was unbelievable. So your house plants, they love it. Not all of them, of course, because you might have some cactus or succulents or things like that. But the majority of them come from that part of the world that ha- 
That kind of stuff happens all the time. What is potting mix, by the way, and how should I improve my soil before I do my planting in the fall? Or should I bother even improving the soil? Should I be doing any pruning, shearing, whatever? Diseases, bugs, oh, information. I'll share my thoughts to help you orchestrate and solidify maybe your options. Final judgment of action is going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. And remember, if you weren't there, I would not be here. Another very important player is Alex, back after, like I said, a week off for a birthday. And he's got a shirt that says, Saturdays are for dads. For the dads, sorry. But anyway, that's not his birthday. That's for Father's Day. But anyway, I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And uh, I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you like. And that's called a walk and talk. Go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving today. Ah, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Last Sunday was the first day of summer, so we can understand why it's getting a little bit humid and everything else. And as tradition has it, when there's a seasonal change, I do the walk and talk around my home. So anyway... We're at the corner of Christie Park and uh, the northeast corner, and it's really kind of a casual area, this part of the park. There's really nothing developed in there. It's just trees and lawn and wildlife and birds and some wildlife, meaning squirrels for the most part. There's a couple of Cooper's hawks that are in there, and the, the lawn is really kind of, let's say, wildflowers, or if you want to call them weeds, it doesn't really matter. They're green. That's perfect. That's what my father said growing up. If it's green, it's good. Who cares? And uh, anyway, along the east side of our property, that's a space uh, between the garage and the alley. There's a linear bed there that's dominated by five foot plus up to five feet cone flowers. I mean, they are absolutely spectacular and they've been blooming for over a month now. So they still got a while to go. I can tell by looking at the foliage. There's some other things in there as well. There's some ironweed because uh, last year we, for the anniversary metal type thing, it was supposed to be iron. I said, I don't really want to get something iron. So we got ironweed instead. There's lemon verbena in there. There's uh, some sedum and phlox as well. And uh, a little boxwood, a, not a little boxwood, a pretty good sized boxwood, but it's a small leaf boxwood. There's various island plantings that were created by the sort of the intersection of the driveway, sidewalk, and street. And that's dominated by sweet alyssum and several different types of sedums and yellow moneywort as well. Some people call it yellow creeping jenny. Along one stretch of sidewalk, that's where I pour down bird seed. So that, that place is it's total insanity. So, But I can look right out the window and watch all the different varieties of birds that come and to the buffet that I provide for them. The three sugar maples are our street trees, and they frame our house. The zoysia lawn really is pretty striking this time of year, the dark green color. And I fertilize it once already, and today after the show, I'll probably fertilize again for my monthly fertilization. There's around the house a four-foot-wide steel-edged River rock bed that virtually embraces the house entirely. And the plantings along there, which would be kind of the traditional uh, foundation plantings, there's Tratus cantia, which is a spider wart, 
uh, a woodland fern, Asiatic lilies, purple coral bells, hostas, more yellow moneywort, sedums, boxwood, a cypress, mugo pine, and Japanese painted fern. I've got lots of pots and uh, pots and window boxes, both. One of the plants in my pots is Biden's perennial sunflower. So it's just like President Biden spells his name. So Tracy wants to take a picture of him and you know, email it to him and say, do you know that there's a plant named after you? But actually not. That plant was around for a long time before he was. Anyway, there's lots of elephant ears. There's cannas, begonias, wandering Jews, three different varieties. There's some annual dahlias. I've been a little bit disappointed with, for, with those. They're not really the bulbous type, but uh, I thought they would be a little bit more spectacular than they are. You do have to deadhead them. If you don't, it's like, oh, it really slows the flowering process. There's uh, some lantana, calla lilies, and many, many other colors to spice the aesthetic value of the outdoors. So anyway, welcome to summertime, and that was a tour de force of uh, Tracy and my landscape. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Alex is producing, so when you call, all he needs is your first name and where you're calling from. So he doesn't know, need to know where, why you're calling or anything else. But uh, do give us a call. We've got some phone lines open. Here's a, we've had some great lightning stuff. I guess it was two nights ago, starting about 3 o'clock in the morning. But here's a, a quote from Mark Twain. Thunder is good. Thunder is impressive. But it is lightning that does the work. And what happens is when there's lightning strikes, well, when you put nitrogen fertilizer or you know anything that has nitrogen on your ground, what it does is it stays on the ground. The plants absorb as much as they possibly can. But after a few days, it actually heads up into the atmosphere. And then when we have lightning strikes, that brings that nitrogen out of the sky and down onto your plants. That's why... Everything is so bright green. It's not just, you know, the water, the rain washing everything off or anything else. But it's, you know, actually a light amount of fertilizer from the sky feeding your plant material. So I think everything looks really fantastic. As water droplets collide in the atmosphere, electrons are knocked free. I won't go into all this stuff, but I think the electrons being knocked free sounds really kind of cool. But anyway, so... Hopefully we'll have some more lightning and keep everything nice and bright and green. Let's start the day off at uh, FJ's. Hi, FJ. Hello. Hello. Yes. Yeah, I've been, I don't know if you've ever heard of a Pride of Barbados or a Mexican Redbird, but it's, um, I've been trying to grow it from a seed for the last couple of years. It's a kind of a desert plant. A lot of, a lot of times you find them in Arizona. I'm wondering if I'm using the wrong soil. I've been just using potting mix. I'm wondering if I should be using more of like a cactus mix. Yeah, I would certainly do that. Because, I mean, even though... Pretty much just nothing happens. Yeah, even though potting mix is well-drained and everything else, there's certain elements that the desert or, you know, cactus mix, you know, they blend into that, and that would probably help with, you know, help with the seed germination and everything else. Now, are you germinating them... You know, just in okay. the pot, or are you trying to germinate them, let's say, in a, a, a flat like nurseries do, or how are you doing it? 
Well, I started just uh, like in a wet paper towel for a while, and yeah. then that nothing happened. And yeah. then I um, nice. and then I tried planting it in like a small, like a small shallow cup, basically with drainage in it. I would say you know just put them in a like a six inch black plastic nursery pot. And just kind of lay them on the surface of the you know, the desert cactus mix potting mix, and just pat them down a little bit, and just let them and put the actually, you know, just kind of keep it slightly damp. Don't let it in. Okay. And that would probably be the best, going to be your best shot. So you don't actually have to cover it much, just kind of. Yeah, because I mean, top. what you're trying to do is duplicate what if the plant was in nature, it's not going to cover it necessarily. The seeds are just going to drop, yep. and then, you know, they can get, let's say, pushed down a little bit by rains or things along that line. Okay. And the other question I have is on um, getting your soil tested. I know a lot of places closed down during the pandemic. Do you know any places now that continue to do it? Well, I mean, uh, there's – I don't know what part of town you live in, but uh, the University of Missouri has an extension office in Kirkwood – and you could do it there. There's private companies over in Belleville that actually do it as well. So, I'm not far from Kirkwood. I thought that that one had clo- uh, kind of closed down during the pandemic, but maybe it hadn't. I'm not sure. I don't think so. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's University of Missouri, so basically what is, they're doing is just they're shipping it for you as opposed to you shipping it down to Columbia. Gotcha. All right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And good luck with germinating your seed. Yeah, that's really kind of fun to do that kind of stuff. So we, uh, when we were in Arizona a few years ago, I bought a bunch of, let's say, mixed cactus seeds. And so I just I have them in a window box, and uh, I just sprinkle them in there. And, I mean, some of them have really, <laughs> really kind of taken off. They're still very small, but uh, growing them from seed. Some of them germinated, and then they didn't do so well. So, uh you just you roll dice anything anytime you do anything from seed. Let's head over to Jerry's yard and he lives in Spanish Lake. Hi, Jerry. Hello. Hi. Yeah. Um I um would like to know about um I have oak trees and I have hundreds of little seedlings coming up. What can I do to get rid of those seedlings? And also the guy that was asking about uh the uh, dropping your soil sample. I was just out to the Missouri in Kirkwood on Monroe, so that place is open. Right. Okay. Great. Well, thanks. Mm-hmm. So now, so you're saying your oak trees are dropping acorns, and the squirrels are planting the acorns. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, they're all over the place. So I want to know how can I kill those saplings? <laughs> I mean, you could use an herbicide on them because they're just newly germinated. But uh, beyond that, there's, you know, I mean, you could dig them out. Yeah, you could do that. Or, I mean, a couple inches of mulch over the top of them should probably help, you know, control that as well. Oh, okay. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So, but if you're going to do the mulch, don't pile it up onto the trunk at all. So, and most of the seedlings are going to be out towards the extension of the branches as opposed to close in. So. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of work. <laughs> but you're kind of lucky because a lot of times you see oak trees, and you don't see any kind of anything that's germinated underneath them. But uh, that should be a little bit of fun. So let's ne- go over to Gene's yard now. Hi, Gene. 
Hi, I have a question. We have two large oak trees that got that gall on them. Right. And there are a few branches that are dying off, and we're thinking about taking the trees down and having the stumps ground out. And they tell us they're going to leave those grindings in that hole instead of taking them out and then us put dirt in there. Is that a good idea without attract termites? No, it won't attract termites, but it won't. That's those stump grindings will prevent virtually anything from being able to grow in that spot. So it's going to be problematic anyway. But uh, the more the let's say fresh wood, because that's what the grinding is going to be. What that does is bind up nutrients and moisture and everything else, and creates. And it's still, even though they're little bitty pieces, it's still almost like a hardwood floor in that spot. So you're, you know, it's going to be a tough circumstance, even if they took all the stump grindings out, and you backfilled it with a topsoil compost mix. It's going to be a rough, you know, rough circumstance. So just realize that. But uh, to me, when they say they're just going to leave the stump grindings there, so you don't have a hole, that that's uh, doesn't make much sense. Yeah. So we just want the we want the grindings out, correct? Right. Exactly. And right. then you're still going to have a hard time growing anything in that spot. So just realize that whether you're trying to well, grow I grass think... or ground covers oh. or anything else. Oh, okay. Even the grass will have a hard time. Oh, absolutely. And it's because okay. you know the stump grindings are there, but still the existing root system that went out from the trunk and all those roots are still there, and they're still going to be competing. For, because they don't know they've been beheaded, they're going to compete for nutrients and moisture and everything else. So that's where the problem comes. Oh, okay. So just be well, patient. It's going to take a couple of years before you're going to have good success on getting anything to grow in this spot. Okay. All right. I just was concerned about, you know, the grindings being in there that they would cause termites or something. Yeah. We didn't want that. Yeah, definitely not termites, but they just prevent They'll make it... The, the, until that would totally break down, which is going to take multiple years, it's just going to extend the process where you're not going to have just sort of a, a scar in your landscape. Let's put it that way. So, so I actually want them to take the grindings out. Yes, correct? right. Even if it costs a little bit more, tell them to get rid of them. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for the information. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Phone lines open three one four. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks. Three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. If you're growing chrysanthemums and you've been pinching them back, Fourth of July is about the last time you should pinch them. That should make it so they're going to be nice, thick. And dense, kind of a little bitty bush as opposed to this long, elongated, you know, sunflower. That's because chrysanthemums in, in the sunflower family. So what that does also is aesthetically make the, let's say, the, the chrysanthemum plant look better, but also increases the number of fall blooms. But uh, no pinching back after the 4th of July. So you got one more, you know, shot at pinching back. Other things, make sure that you continue to uh, fertilize your annuals every two weeks. That's the way that you're going to have the best amount of flowers, the best aesthetic value off them for the rest of the season. And for probably you're going to fertilize them all the way up until maybe mid-September. And then you're going to have them doing pretty well all the way up till probably close to Thanksgiving. If not, you know, we never know what our weather's going to do. Let's get back to the phones. 
Let's go to Brian, and he lives in Columbia, Illinois. Hi, Brian. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Um, hey, got a quick question. I got a new area um, that we backfilled. It's basically it's about fifteen hundred square feet of dirt. What's my best chance of getting any kind of temporary grass this year? Temporary? I mean, you could use an annual yeah. rye and get that. You should. It all depends on how horrible this soil was. Is it just clay soil from like digging out a basement or something? Well, it's backfilling uh, a retaining wall, and so we got a new, more or less level area. Then I was thinking about just kind of throwing some of the uh, St. Louis composting uh, soil on top to try to help it out a little bit. And it's it's basically going to get ripped out again next year okay. uh, for new construction. So, yeah, basically you can do that, but just make sure you just don't put a layer of anything in there. you got to mix it in with the, the existing yeah. horrible stuff. If you don't mix it, okay. it's the, the chance of success is going to be minimal. Okay, would you uh, put put a little bit of straw or anything like that down, uh, or just really seed it heavy? Uh, putting, let's say, an, ex- an extraordinary num- amount of seed down doesn't mean it's going to have, you know, thicker lawn by any means. So whatever okay. rate, whatever seed that you get, they say put this, and it's hard to snow because they're going to say, you know, spread of the square footage you have, you need to spread a pound or whatever it happens to be. It's tough to really do. So just when you sprinkle the seed, just when you look down, you want to make sure that none of the seed is actually laying on top of each other. So that's the best way okay. to do it. But mix, you know, mix something in with that, you know, let's say subsoil that you're going to be using for a temporary type thing. Okay. All right. And then just water it uh, pretty heavily, I guess, depending on the weather of the next weeks yeah for definitely for the every, daily for the first you know probably two weeks then depending upon the weather and everything else that's going to determine how much because at the end of two weeks with the soil temperatures and everything as they are it should be germ starting to germinate at that time right right okay all right well we'll give it a shot and see what happens yeah and also if you if you don't want to use grass seed you might consider using clover like dutch white clover and see you know See if that can give you some, or a combination of the two, because you're going to tear it up anyway. Right. Um, will that uh, hold up with uh, the heat if we have a really hot August? Oh, yeah. Uh, with new, clover. New, okay. Yeah, clover could care less. Okay. All right. Well, we'll look at that. All right. Awesome. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And let's go over to Ruben's yard now. Hi, Ruben. Hey, hi there. Uh, so I have several large pin oaks in my yard. And this year, I had not noticed it previously, but they seem to be dropping uh, the, the tips off of the branches, or maybe a six-inch section. And in the sections, all the leaves are still green. They look healthy and alive. And a lot of the sections actually have what I would call a burl, like a round brown thing kind of like that wraps around the, edge, the ends of these leaves. Now, I don't know if that's normal or not. So my question is, is this some sort of a disease? I've never noticed it before. And what are the burls? Well, those round balls are actually called gall, G-A-L-L. And what it is, gall. Uh, it's a type of wasp that lives in your trees. They love the red oaks, which a pin oak is part of the red oak group. And uh, the female lays the eggs. She pe- penetrates the stem right where you're talking about, lays the eggs in there. And then what it does is a protective measure for this particular wasp even though it's not the classic type wasp, it causes that bloated growth. 
and that protects the larvae that's going to be hatching in there from the eggs. So this, the fact you haven't had it up till now, the fact that you're getting it now, that you're never going to have a point when you don't have it again. So you've been lucky all the way up to this time, but the you know the galls are very very you know common in a lot of you know a lot of members, pin oak being the majority because that's the one that's planted most often of the red oak group. So so are are the galls is the weight of the galls or what's causing the tips of those branches to drop all over my yard? Yeah, that's you know that's part of it for sure. And what it does is also weaken that part, you know that's right where the the gall is. And with these stronger winds, but you're still going to start looking up in your tree, you're going to see galls, there's a lot of galls that are still up there that haven't fallen. And these are going to eventually emerge with wasps? Right, but non-stinging wasps. And the wasps just live in the trees. Basically, they kind of live in the same tree where they were born. They're really kind of a weird group. So it's not going to be the classic wasp that we think of wasps, but it's just because of their, let's say, anatomy that they're classified as a wasp, but they're not something that's you know going to be problematic for people. They're just problematic for the red, you know, for the red oak group. I mean, will they eventually be deleterious to the health of the tree? Yeah, they can over time. I mean, it's not so much what they're going to do, but you can get so many galls on so you know on some branches that the weight of that could actually start rather than getting a little six inch you know section broken off. You start getting cracks on some of the major branches. Then you get moisture in there. Then you get uh, heartwood rot, all those kind of things. So, But there's people that have had galls in their trees for decades, and their trees are still living. It's just that they're sick and tired of you know having the galls there. Well, I'm sick and tired of picking up the little tips. But, <laughs> but, but no, hey, that, 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 thank you. I tried Googling this. I tried all kinds of different things. So uh, I appreciate your uh, wealth of knowledge. Thank you, sir. Sure. And again, it's G-A-L-L. So just put that in and you'll find out all kinds of crazy information related to those. Okay, thank you. Things. Yep. And now let's go to Elizabeth and she lives in Afton. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. I'm calling uh, to talk to you about boxwood and barberry. I think it's Japanese barberry bushes that I have in several places in the front of my yard. And it seems like these things, they're probably 20 years old. Mm. Um, But all of a sudden they have like new life and they have grown. And even though I have my lawn guy trim them back, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I'm wondering, so now the problem is I can't even get in between them to dig out weeds. I have a sweet gumball tree, so our sweet gum tree with, you know, tons of sweet gumballs. I can't even get in there with a rake to rake those out. And I'm wondering if I can just whack them off maybe a third to a half. And if they come back, they come back. And if they don't, I guess they don't. Right. Well, that's a, you know that's a good philosophy because the chances of them coming back if you cut them back halfway is going to be minimal because you're going to be cutting them back to where there probably isn't much foliage on either one of them, and so consequently the buds that are on along this that are still remaining on those stems are dysfunctional and they're probably not going to leaf back out. Is there anything that you can suggest? And I'll tell you what happened too. I. I 
on, on one side, there were a couple that I thought, uh, they was, these are the Barberries, and I thought they were basically dying. And I had the lawn man cut them back a couple years ago, and he said, you know, I, I, I think these are going to come back. I wanted him to dig them up just to get them out. And he marked them with an X, and sure as shooting, they came back. And so that's why I was wondering if my little <laughs> my thought process would work for the rest of these branches, just so I could get in those beds and really clean them out right. and remulch and everything. Yeah, the fact that, I mean, they were a couple years younger, but as, a, you know, the shrubs get older and stuff and how much you're cutting them back is, you know, can make a difference. And if you cut them back severely and he, you know, and let's say they put a new surge of growth out, that aesthetically is not going to be very, it takes multiple years before you're going to get a, sort of the aesthetic value back. Okay. If it does come back. Okay. All right, so you're suggesting I just leave them as they are, just have them routinely trimmed like I have been doing, and either that or just let the sweet gumballs just sit there. Are they <laughs> the weeds? <laughs> are they are they in like a hedge row? Is that what it is? Yes, they're uh, alternating the section that's really kind of is, are in front of the. I have a bay window in the front of the house, and uh-huh. they're in that that section there. So there's probably a good. Oh, there's also some holly bushes. There's three holly bushes in there, too. So there's three of those, and there's probably 10 or 12 of the other bushes. Right. So, I mean, you could take a look and decide if you want to take out every other one and see if that would work or do, you know, go ahead and do what your thought process was. Go ahead and prune them and see what happens, you know, as a result of your pruning. They may recover. They may not. The Obviously, the barberry, because they're deciduous and a little bit tougher, they're going to have a, ch- a better chance of coming back than the boxwood will. Oh, okay. And okay. pruning, and don't do the pruning in the summertime. I mean, I know that means you got to wait, but uh, you, you could get some sunburn on the re- remaining foliage and all that kind of, you know, re- problematic type things. Okay. So maybe in the, you know, in the fall. Yeah, sometime September, after October, kind of look at it. And, right. You know. Okay, and I have just one quick question that I just thought about. Last week you talked with uh, a woman that had uh, a question about Japanese maples, and you told her to trim the leaves off around the sides so they didn't spread so much. Can I do that now on my Japanese maple, or do I have to? Should I wait till the fall before? Yeah, summertime pruning is not advisable because we don't know our weather is just too screwy. And the sun can get intense, and you could get some sunburn on it, and it's going to be an aesthetic problem for the remaining of of this, let's say, growing season. Okay, because I've noticed this year too. This this little Japanese maple has expanded. Um, it's now touching some of the house and some of the other bushes over there. So right, um, but I should just wait. A, for that too, till maybe September, October, and then trim those back. Yeah, you don't have to wait that you know until let's say mid to late August when the days start getting shorter. Oh, okay. And the okay. sun's less intense, even though the temperature still may be high. The sun, let's say, is in less intense as far as sun burning any existing or remaining of foliage, branches, or anything. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. 
Folks, stay up with your weed control, whether you're using an herbicide, hand digging, or whatever you're doing, because you don't want these weeds to go to seed. So in other words, once they start making seed, then the seed drops, and you got to, you know, problems for the future. So they're just guaranteeing they will be around, but you don't want them around. So stay on top of it. Let's go over to Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Yeah, um, I, I live in a subdivision. Uh, got a third acre lot, not a lot of grass. But uh, sometimes I mow and sometimes, I mean, sometimes I bag and sometimes I mulch. Is there a better time to do either one or should one of those not even be done? Well, bagging is not really to the advantage of your lawn. As long as you're mowing enough where when you're using, let's say you're mulching mower or setting or whatever it happens to be, that when you look back after you've just cut some area, you don't have a layer of clippings on top of the existing lawn. The reason why I'm saying that is because as fertilizer comes up through the soil, up through the root system, and into the grass, you know, grass blades, the tip is where it ends up. So if you bag those clippings, you know, you're basically taking some you know, very subtle fertilizer away. So if you can mulch and just, like I say, mow, it and mow often enough that you don't have like a layer of the clippings that you can see after you've run your mower over it, that's to the advantage. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, uh, just keep just keep cutting, and if you have to cut twice a week and or set your mower a little bit higher, then do that. Yeah, I understand. Thank you. Okay, great. Thanks, Jerry. And let's go over to John's yard. Hi, John. Yeah. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, I, I have you. You interested me when you said your coneflowers are. Uh, did you say five feet tall? Yeah, up to five feet. There's some that are a little bit shorter, but there are some that are five feet. I I have five coneflowers that I planted uh, uh, one last year and one, two more. The others about two years ago. They're about three to four inches high. <laughs> uh, what what's going on here? <laughs> Um, I'm not sure because, I mean, I improved the soil and everything, but uh, if they've been in the ground that long and they're only like, unless it's a variety, it's not the purple coneflower, echinacea, then there's uh, why they would be that small. Use it by the second or third year, they should be at least, you know, 15 to 18 inches. Uh, well, maybe a little fertilizer around them. Uh, I don't know the technique, the uh, uh, actual uh uh, name of the coneflowers. Right. Uh, but, um, uh, the 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 I, I have I have tomato plants spe- uh, planted also in a different area, uh, not far away, and they're three feet tall or more. Right. Uh, so I, I I wondered about that. Yeah, I and, do. I do fertilize the coneflowers. That's for sure. So you might give them give them a shot. Any particular. Um, uh, uh, a mixture of, of a fertilizer. I just use like get a you know a Scotts blend for you know, blooming plant material. Uh huh. Well, I'll ask at the garden store. Right. They've got it dry uh, I, and they've got liquid both. Well, okay. Uh, uh, I, I have I have some plants close to a tree line, and they're they're. They're again. They're maybe two year. No, I think they're one year old now, and they're not uh, achieving the height that uh, is advertised. Right. So um, it's just a matter of competition. Of the tree roots. 
I'm sorry, John. We're just about out of time. So Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. See you after the news. What? Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes, uh, what's a raccoon story? Haven't seen him in a while. Ah, uh, so you know, Sparky hasn't been back, as far as I can tell. <laughs> but we uh, did have a new visitor the other day in the monkey? middle of the daytime. No, I've got, I've got monkeys. That's a whole other story. Uh, a coyote. Whoa! Walked right up to the back fence. We've got so our yard. We've got oh, probably thirty yards back to the back fence, maybe twenty, something like that. And then there's a big pasture in the back, like. Mm-hmm couple acres and he apparently came from either the woods or the neighbors they have chickens so they're really concerned about that sure but he he like walked right up to the fence and sue said hey look at that and i said oh that's not good and i looked at him and he looked at me and said man you're ugly and he ran away (laughs) but he got close and that was kind of we've I've never seen that had one that close. Hmm. So, yeah, so now we're dealing with a coyote. Whoa. But he hasn't, I don't think he's come up and caused any damage. The raccoon probably called his brother. Probably. His cousin that's bigger. Call Get out the, over there and take care of these Exactly. People. Call out the heavy <laughs> artillery. Right. You know, exactly. so, uh, yeah, but I haven't seen the, the raccoon lately. Ah. Yeah. Well, that's great. So, <laughs> Sparky's hiding somewhere. <laughs> uh, thanks, Brian. You bet. And by the way, folks, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, cares for, ups and downs and all arounds of your annuals. And Mr. Kelly, your pansies still looking good? Yes, they oh, are. All right. Are. All right, his pansies are still looking good. Uh, your bulbs, your summer bulbs, yes, they should be looking really striking, not full size by any means yet. And your spring bulbs, the foliage should be gone on all those right now. Your edibles, your cool season vegetables and things like that. They're probably headed a little bit downhill. Ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, tree shrubs, water gardens, and vines as well. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone as well. So when you call, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. I do spend my time on weekends and on during the week as well doing landscape consultations, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and on the homepage, that's where my email address and phone number are listed. This past week, I get uh, past week, uh, Fairview Heights. Maybe it was last week. No, I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But uh, very interesting yard. Lots of water features and things like that. So besides a pool. But the sounds of the water as you approach the front door and everything else was really nice. This gentleman was growing roses. He has 130 roses, but he had, unfortunately, a disease with his roses. So I gave him a consultation related to his rose circumstance. And it was a, you know really troubling for him because he spent a lot of time on a lot of plant material, but roses were his favorite. So anyway, if you want me to come and do a walk and talk, 
You can get my f- email address and phone number from my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and I'll come and share 40-plus years' experience with you. Tip of the trial is a special recognition for an invi- individual or group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. One of my favorite places, which is kind of close to us, not really close, but in the city, it's Brightside St. Louis. And they're right at King's Highway Southwest, where Vandevener becomes Southwest. There's a public library there and everything else. But uh, they also have a great demonstration garden. And today, or this this time of year, basically, it's the 10th birthday for their demonstration garden. It's a great place to go. I go there probably for good gardening strolls about once every, uh, I don't know how many months, but uh, just it changes. It has water movement. It has all kinds of plant material giant sunflowers and butterflies and things like that. It's a really unique space, and it's not massive or anything, but it's still unique in its own way. And uh, so anyway, happy birthday to the demonstration garden at Brightside St. Louis, again, at the corner of Southwest Van Venner and Kings Highway. You can't, it's right, there's no way you could possibly miss this. And uh, so anyway, happy birthday, demonstration garden. So. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Highline. Well, why don't we take a call or two? Let's go to Anna's. Hi, Anna. Good after, Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Uh, I'm calling about a red maple tree that I planted, oh, probably about six weeks ago. Uh, it's just a small one, probably about an inch diameter or so. Um, how do I make sure that it stays straight? It seems to be developing a little bit of a lean. Well, that must be why you it probably is leaning. It's not leaning because of the growth it's doing. So in other words, that soon it can't be leaning as a result of that. The root, you know, the root system or the root ball when it was planted probably wasn't exactly done right, and that's why it appears to be leaning. So in other words, there was less soil on one side of the root ball down in the hole or something, and so consequently that's what's causing the the lack of soil let's say equal soil down in the hole and all the way around the root system is what's causing it to lean. Okay. So is there anything that can be done about it now? Well, what you could do is if you want to, it's an inch caliper. So you can, if you want to stake, or you can just wait again until since it's a relatively new planting and replant it in the fall, you might just go ahead and try to stake it and see if you can, you know, pull it back and see what happens as a result of that. And always when okay. you know, you you know, you're planting plant material uh, three times the diameter of the root ball, but only about eighty percent as deep. So in other words, the top of the root ball should be above the surrounding ground. Right, right. Now um, I've also been you know, like one of the places that I read about watering it. Um, you know, seemed to say you know water it about a gallon and a half every day for the first uh, for about the first two months, and that's that's pretty much the system that I've been using. Um, beyond that, do you have a recommendation? It kind of seemed to just it said to just kind of taper it off and and water as necessary. Would you agree with that, or well, would you suggest something different? Well, a gallon and a half every day for two and a half months—that is an extreme amount of water. So I would say, you know, a gallon or so for the first couple of weeks. But beyond that, I to keep doing it for two plus months does. I've never heard of that before. 
So that okay. might be part of the problem. In other words, you've caused some erosion around the root system by the amount of watering that you're doing. Okay. So even though it's not erosion in the classic sense, it's still the root system now has air pockets around it because the watering you've done have have washed some of the soil away. And that might be because that might be causing the slanting. Okay. I was the tree is looking really healthy. Right. So I I'm hoping that you know it will pull itself back out or I just wondered what you'd recommend. Yeah, it's it's not near the large trees, is it? It's not growing you know, with big trees behind it that could cause it to lean. But still, it wouldn't be leaning through a natural growth process that quickly. So it's got to well, be some. It does, it, it does have trees, you know, on either side of it. I would say, you know, they're probably about 30 feet away from both sides of it. Um you know, we tr- I tried to make sure that it was getting its own sunlight and would not be uh, towered over and, and sunlight from the other trees steal it away. Right. So it sounds like you put some good thought process in it. It's just, you know, like I said, there's something going on underneath the ground that's causing this to be tilted or slanting. Okay. I appreciate your help. Sure. My pleasure. Have a great day. Yep, and Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. We're headed into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Very good. Good. Uh, Mike, the reason I'm calling is um, uh, my husband and I have two very large oak trees in the backyard, um, they're probably about 60 years old. Last summer, one of them had a lot of dead branches, so we had to have it removed. And we're looking at the second one, and we're noticing the same thing. We think it has a fungus, um, and we've had somebody come out, and they're, they're going to take it out. Um, we are trying to put something in the backyard. We have no protection from sunlight. It's a western exposure. And so it's going to wreak some havoc on some plants that we have out there right now. Um, but we tried taking a very small Yoshino cherry and planting it in the yard far away from where the stump was ground out. Within two weeks, it died. And we dug it back up and we noticed there is a lot of moisture in the soil. So we had MSD come out. We've talked to American Water. Um, and they're saying that it's not a water flow problem from either the neighbor's yard or anything coming from sewage. Could it possibly be that this large oak that was removed was absorbing so much moisture, and because it's no longer there, that moisture has no place to go? No, that's not the case, because even though a tree's been removed and even stump ground out, the feeder roots, which you know, run all the way out to where the actually the branches extended, the drip line, and a little bit beyond that, okay. those root systems stay viable and continue to absorb nutrients and moisture for multiple years. Each year, getting less and less because it's not getting fed as a result of the tree being there and the and the actually it's a foliage that makes the food that shares with the root system. So no, that has nothing okay. to do with it. Okay. So my guess you is. Have- you know, I don't know. You said it was a, a distance away, but uh, 
my thinking is the feeder roots of the tree that was has been removed or the other tree that's still there are in this area, and they're competing with anything that you're going to be planting in that space. Okay. We just, we, we've pulled, we pulled the, the, the um, small tree back up, and it just, it, the hole was full of water, and we're seeing water seeping. So the only other thing we can think of is, there's a natural spring that we don't know about. <laughs> I would think after all these years, you would have known about it, but uh, well, certainly. Well, we thought so too, right? <laughs> so we're just puzzled as to why we're getting so much water in this area, and um, and what we can even plant there at this point. We're we're just holding off on doing anything. Yeah, I would say you're probably wise. There are lots of trees, like say, like a black gum, not a sweet gum, that can handle a wet situation. Bald cypress. But uh, yeah, it's a you know kind of a rare you know rare situation. But uh, uh, who knows? There's some quirky stuff going on. But I mean, there hasn't been up until we've had that rain over the last week or so. We were already three inches behind on the normal rainfall, so the ground was really getting super dry. So the fact that this spot is or this location is wet is really kind of strange. And I thought I would have thought you would have. You know, f- figure that out when you dug the hole to put it in there, because the, the water's not going to come just because you dug the hole. The water's going right. to be there. So I don't understand how this, you know, where this is coming from by any means. Okay. Okay. Well, you said uh, the uh, cypress, ball cypress, or the black. Black. Um, yeah, black gum. Um, both of those trees are regular type trees. They're not very fast. They're not super fast growing or anything else, but they can take wet soils. Okay. Okay, great. Mike, thanks so much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's see, where should we go? Let's go over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Uh, I got maybe kind of a dumb question, but um, other than than dying, do trees ever just stop growing as far as, like, height goes or width? Well, sure they do. I mean, there's it's just like people. All people are not the same size, and we all stop growing at a certain height. You know, or depending well, upon individual, but a tree, depending upon what type of tree, certain trees are only going to get this high, X amount of feet, 20 feet, 10 feet, whatever it happens to be, versus ones that can get 50, 60 feet. So it's a genetic thing as much as anything. Well, and that's what I I, I actually knew that, but I have a, a little leaf wind. Little leaf wind. And it. Uh, it's probably about uh, 90 to 100 feet tall. Whoa. And, uh, yeah, I, and it just keeps getting taller and wider. And uh, I, you know, when I bought it, I, you know, which is, it's probably been in the ground 25 years. I know that it it didn't say that it would get that big, and that's why I was asking that question. Right. Yeah, I'm. I've never yeah. seen a linden tree that big, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's just uh, I keep, you know, cutting branches off and stuff, and it just keeps. Well, anyway, maybe it's just an oddity or something. Yeah, who knows? it could be for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's all I wanted to know. All right. Well, thanks, Jim. And now let's go to Sherry's yard. Hi, Sherry. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Um, this is. I'm from St. Louis City. And I wanted to know, what can I do about a grass-like vine that's choking out my zoysia grass? Each year it's getting worse and worse. 
That's, you know, that's a little bit tough because, you know, if you put grass killer down, it's going to f- impact your zoysia grass. So it probably mm-hmm. sounds like it might be Bermuda. So if it's, you know, it's pro- if it's a big, like, massive clump area of it, you can go after it and just kill that off by painting an herbicide right on it. And then, okay. but it's going to be a long, involved process to probably get rid of it entirely. Okay, so when I put this herbicide on it, it's... It's going to leave a bald spot, or yes, or it's going to leave a yeah. It? It's going to leave a definitely you know an open spot. You're going to have to wait for about two weeks after you put the herbicide. After you know, looks like it's dying off before you can do anything. You know, as far as like getting some zoysia you know, plugs or a piece of zoysia sod or whatever you want to do. All right, and when's the best time to do this? Uh, probably would have been better to do it a little bit earlier, but uh, as far as if you don't mind looking at the, let's say the dead patch, you could do, you can do it in the summertime because zoysia is tough and it's going to be available at the garden centers as far as the sod or the plugs. So you mm-hmm. could do it now if you want to, or you can wait until next year when it first starts greening up and you start to see the new growth coming. That's uh, when you'd be putting the herbicide on the the weedy grass, Bermuda probably that you're trying to get rid of. Yes, a lot of it. Well, thanks so much. Sure. It's going to be a ni- a nightmare, let's put it that way. <laughs> I kind of figured that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you so much. Sure. And now let's go to Shirley's. Hi, Shirley. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I, I, I seem to have a problem with uh, rosette on my roses. Ooh. This is the second time I've had it, and I don't know how to take care of it as far as can I still keep my roses and cut that back? No. Um, Basically, it's an I... internal disease, and it's, it kills. So, I mean, whether it's at the botanical garden, a public park, or you, you in your yard, once a rose has rose rosette, you got to get rid of it because what happens is spider mites and stuff like that will feed onto that rose that has the problem, then the wind can blow them or they, you know, they get blown to a rose that doesn't have it. Then they start feeding on the new rose and they inject the, the rose rosette into it. So you have to get rid of them. There's no, nothing you can do. There's no you know, application, nothing that will stop it. Okay, so this is with the, already on the, the rose bush? It's or on, is it, yeah, it's in the inside. It's in the veins. Okay, so I bought roses with it on it. Is that correct? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, they could, the you know, let's say the the spider mites could have been blown in from somebody else's yard. So I mean, you could have, but that's probably not necessarily going to be the case. Okay. Unless it, what I'm what I'm asking is it caused by just the spider mites, or is it already on the rose? It's. It, it's the spider mites the spider mites get the disease when they feed on a rose that has the problem. So the spider mites basically are transmitting the disease from tree or from roses that already are affected by the rose rosette. Okay, so that's the only way that it can be on there is from the spider mites. For the most part, I mean other insects can can transmit it, but yeah, for the most part it's, it is just transmitted by, you know, spider mites. Okay, I was just wanting to know the cause, and I have to get rid of them, but could there be anything in the soil since I've had them twice? No. Um, is there thing that I can do to prevent it? No, not really. I mean, just watch them, you know, just monitor and watch them closely. I mean, rose rosette, 
at uh, Tower Grove Park, they've had it. At the Botanical Garden, they've had it. So, I mean, places with professional services, you know, staff members and everything else, this is a problem that just, you know, can occur. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to occur everywhere. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, it's a nasty internal disease that nothing can be done to stop it or prevent it or, to, you know, to diminish it. Okay. If I get rid of those and plant roses in the same place again, am I going to have a problem with that? No, as long as the roses, if you have some existing roses that are going to stay, just so they're not inf- affected with the rose rosette. But no, putting roses back in the spot where these were grown, as long as you're pulling out the entire rose root system and everything else, wouldn't be trouble. Oh, okay. Is there anything I can spray with to keep the uh, spider mites off? Well, I mean, ro- use a miticide. Okay, um, and that's something I can spray anytime. Well, you generally you just don't routinely spray it, or you could get a systemic type of insecticide. So, in other words, one that's going to be absorbed through the root system that will go up through the stems and into the leaves and everything else that will kill anything that's going to be feeding, you know, on the rows. Okay, okay, that sounds good. Thank right. you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. We're headed to Collinsville and going into Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Yes, uh, Mike, I got a couple questions about my asparagus. Uh, I got a well-established spot for it, and uh, I've noticed that five feet out of the bed, I'm getting asparagus coming up. Right. Can I dig that up and transplant it back into the area I want to keep them in? And if so, what's the best time? Another question would be, another question would be, I'd like to experiment with some white asparagus. Um, I don't really want to use dirt to make mounds over them. Could I use a mulch in the springtime and what kind of mulch? Yeah, that would be, I'd be a little bit concerned about using the mulch because, you know, if I was going to use a mulch, I'd use like a leaf mulch, not a wood mulch, because the wood mulch might have an adverse impact on it. And as far yes, as like, um, you know, getting the, you know, digging up the runners, you would do that in the springtime when the asparagus is available at the garden centers. So in other words, you're going to have to take a marker and, you know, like as a, the asparagus season ends, you know, just put a dot st- Right where I where the asparagus was coming out, away from the let's say the bed where you want it to be. That way, you'll know where to dig down to get the root system. Okay. Yes. Well, and it uh, um, it's growing now. I'm letting it grow, and, and I think when it dies out, I'm going to cut it back. I guess on that runners, I could put like a little flag there, so I know exactly the where right. it's at. So, so you you don't recommend using? I mean, I I. I use a lot of leaf mulch, right. leaf and grass, yeah, that there. But now you see that would be okay, but not a regular mulch. I don't, I don't use wood chip mulch. Okay, so and yeah, I, the woods. Well, like wood. maybe something from St. Louis uh, compost. Well, they have a leaf mulch there, so I mean, but uh, there's. Okay. I mean, you could do compost if you want to. You, that would be. Oh, I mean, okay. Well, yes, I compost all everything. Okay. Or as much as possible. Okay. So, so, I mean... I could use that, too. Right, exactly. Okay. Well, thank you, then. Sure. Oh, and I wanted, wanted one, more, one more thing. I wanted to wish you a happy birthday coming up. Uh, <laughs> <I believe it's laughs> <Wednesday. 
<laughs> yeah, next week, June 30th, yeah. I'll be 72 years old. Yeah, right. I, I did want to mention the age, but uh, yeah, and I hope that they enjoy you many more years on this show. I really love it. I think everybody else, by the way they call it, they do too. Well, thanks. Greatly appreciate okay, it, Gary. thank you. Yep. And now let's head over to Jules in University City. Hi, Jules. Hi. Well, first thing, happy birthday, youngster. <laughs> and uh, you may have covered this already, but I have millions of aphids on my crepe myrtle. Ooh. And not a, a ladybug in sight. Last year I waited, and ladybugs and their larvae came out, and in a week or so devastated the uh, you know the aphids, right. but now they're just taking over. And uh, I try spraying, and there are just so many leaves that uh, I can't cover this whole thing. So, is there any any other way, anything that we can do that? Uh, and it, it seems they pick on some other things, and then when these uh, crepe myrtle come out, they all migrate over there. Hmm. And, and that's about the only thing that they're attacking in their yard. That's a kind of surprising because usually they don't, you know, crepe myrtles are not necessarily prone to that. I would say there's not really anything else other than, you know, than what you were talking about, the ladybugs. And this year, a lot of the sort of the predatory type insects, their sequence has been thrown off. There's, you know, people have you know, emailed me, you know, asked me about it. Why haven't we seen this? Why isn't this? And it's, you know, it's hard to know with a crazy weather, but other than using an insecticidal soap or something that's nice and safe, uh, there's, I mean, there's nothing else you can really do. Well, okay, I'll get busy with the sprayer again. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you could use anything you want to as far as the insecticide. Just the safest thing would be the insecticidal soaps. Okay. Uh, I mix up stuff with uh, a little alcohol, a little peroxide, and some dish soap. Oh, okay. And that, that does seem to work, but, uh, you know, it's kind of tedious. So. <laughs> you got to mix it. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you. And, uh, again, hey, have a happy birthday. Well, thank you. And let's head now over to Sharon Jar. Hi, Sharon. Hi, Mike. I have a question about a redbud tree I planted a couple of years ago. When it came out of winter, uh, the main trunk of it was cracked about five foot up, and everything above that crack um, is dead, and everything below it is alive. So the branches coming off of it have leaves below it. Um, is there anything I can do about that? Can I cut off the top above the crack, and would it grow okay? Uh, it's hard to say. I don't know why. You know, what would cause that? Because red buds are pretty tough, you know. And for just a yeah. crack, you know, to they're not really it's prone about to about an inch in diameter there where oh. it, it split. So that must be some. Is that facing the south? Do you know where the actual crack is? Um, no, I think it's actually facing the. The east. Okay, because I was going to say, so for a crack like that to be that major, and for you not to notice it until this year, and for it to kill off the entire top of the tree above the crack, that seems a bit extreme. But yeah, just cut off everything that's dead, by all means. Don't leave that, and just kind of keep your fingers crossed on what's going to happen to the tree just kind of in general. 
Okay. Do you think that that, that main trunk will start sprouting again? It should. That? Generally, they'll put out sucker growth, but it's not going to look... I mean, it's going to be like little twiggies coming off of it, and it's, you're probably not necessarily going to like it. But uh, uh, you might I mean, you might say, okay, well, let's, you know, this is the same red bud, and that's why I'm happy with it. Okay. So do you think it'll get taller, though, or is it just going to kind of stay at where I cut it off and just get bushy-like? No, it should, you know, it should get some elevation to it, some height. All right. I'll go ahead and cut it off then. All right. Good luck. Thank you. Sure. Bye-bye. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, just realize that if you have a zoysia lawn, it's not as, it's not, doesn't need as much water as the bluegrasses and fescues. It's more drought tolerant. That's not to say don't water it, but you don't have to, like, really worry about it. So that's one of the advantages of the zoysia is it is capable of withstanding our summertime temperatures and everything else. Let's head back to the phones. Let's go to Dave's yard in South St. Louis. Hi, Dave. Good morning. How are you doing today? Very good. Uh, we have uh, tomato plants growing out of uh, five-gallon buckets. Mm-hmm. And right now there may be um, three and a half to four feet out of the bucket. Okay. Uh, on the lower part of the tomatoes that are starting to show, we have a, a, a darkish color, like a, a purplish color. Um, friend said maybe it's the soil itself, which is a potting mix from down the street at Bears. And... Uh, I water them uh, every morning. So, uh, any suggestions? Yeah, it's called uh, blossom end rot, and it's caused by whatever fertilizer you're using or whatever that soil is, it doesn't have enough calcium in it. So, in other words, when you buy fertilizer for tomatoes, it'll say it right on there that it contains calcium. That prevents that blossom end rot, and that's what you're experiencing. Okay. Uh, we had gotten the fertilizer right from the uh, the same place, the same nursery, and it said uh, about every two months to uh, to apply this. So I, I didn't know if that was too sparse a time frame, or, or what do you think? Uh, I think that's. I think every two months is a little bit extreme. I think probably oh, really? once a month should be, you know, once every three weeks should be adequate. Correct. Okay. All right. So the watering is not a problem then. All right. No. But, uh, you know, I mean, what it could be as a result of this, you know, your water pH and everything else, you're just not getting the calcium in there, and it's, you know, that's what's causing this blossom end rot. All right, so I'll look for something with more of a calcium. Uh... Right, it'll say it right on the box, or look at all the ingredients within the fertilizer. It will list all the different nutrients and micronutrients, max, you know, as well as uh, the other nutrients also. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. All righty. And now let's go to Keith's yard in Collinsville. Hi, Keith. Hey, uh, in your, are you there? Yes. In your 72 years, have you ever heard about the star in a cottonwood tree? A star in a cottonwood tree. Not that I can think of. What's a star in a cottonwood about tree? About a month ago, I, I read an article, and if you take a and you snap a, a cottonwood branch that's fallen to the ground, and if you break the branch in two at the knuckle of the branch, you will find a star that looks it's a it, it looks like the lone star on the Dallas Cowboys 
uh, helmet. <laughs> really? <laughs> so the, I, I'm surprised you haven't heard about this. So, like, when I first read about this, I went to this park that I always walk my dog, and I found this cottonwood branch, and sure enough, I opened it up, and there is a very distinct five-point star in that branch. And then when I brought it home to show my family, I guess just the moisture of, of in the air Evaporated. kind of uh, filled that star up. So it, it doesn't, in other words, you got to, it's there. And I showed it to this elderly man, and he he was 85 years old, and he said, I've never heard of that in my life. <laughs> so if you got a cottonwood tree in your yard, go out there and, you know, one of the branches that fall to the ground, not a fresh branch, right. but a dead branch, snap it at the, at the knuckle, try it a couple of times, and you'll find that star. Yeah, I mean, we live close to Christie Park. There are several cottonwood trees, and, they're, I mean, these, were, these are huge trees, so... They're constantly dropping branches, so I'll give it a shot and see what it, see if I yeah, can find these they're, stars. They're, they're really small, not the big limbs, right. you know, just the little branches that fall to the ground. Right, yeah, to break a big branch would be a little bit tough. I'm surprised <laughs> you hadn't heard that. No, haven't heard that one. So check it out. Okay, that sounds pretty good. All right. Thanks you, and thanks to everybody for calling in. I greatly appreciate it. If you want to, this time of year, and you feel like you want to grow some things from seed, this would be the time of year when you'd be planting zinnia, cosmos, alyssum, pansies, marigold, or cleome seed. And you get them basically planted by, you know, 4th of July using a potting mix for starting plant material. And that's going to make sure that you're going to have things that's blooming later in the season. That's one of the real pluses of, you know, doing sort of a second series of uh Planting by seed, or just if you haven't planted anything by seed this year because of the way the weather was and everything else, go ahead and do it. So, I mean, you're going to have, you know, plants are going to be blooming between, uh, let's say, Halloween and Thanksgiving. That's, you know, the kind of the real plus of that. As I said before, if you've got iris, regardless of what type it is, whether it's Siberian, whether it's Japanese iris, whether it's traditional, you know, flags, uh, right after they bloom, that would be the t- time that you want to do the dividing. And just realize also, if you have a plant that is less than a year in the ground in that location, we've had some really harsh weather related to water. And if the root system gets dehydrated, recovery can be really tough on a young plant. And young meaning in the ground less than one year. So just keep that in mind. Do not fertilize any kind of trees or shrubs after the 4th of July because what that could do is the plant, by the time it, let's say, gets the nutrients up through the root system into the, you know, the budded, it could push some growth out. And then that growth is going to be very prone, even though it's not going to be really obvious that the buds could get frozen due to the wintertime. So no fertilizer on trees or shrubs, you know, this time of year after the 4th of July, none. So don't do it. Just don't, don't do it. And uh, looks like we're going to have a you know crazy day and everything else. It should be real fun. And uh, thanks to everybody for calling in, and thanks to, for the couple of people that wish me a happy birthday. Mike Miller, I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. 
And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 